Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, August 27th, 2022. Can I just start by saying thank you to those of you who listen to this podcast on Saturdays? Uh, it's awesome to see people uh, following along through the year, reading through the Bible. Each day, there's a few hundred people uh, that listen into the podcast, and I'm hoping beyond that, that means they're reading their Bibles, and it's awesome to be going through the Bible together. But every day, if you look at the numbers, it's always the lowest on Saturday. So thank you if you are listening to this on Saturday. And and if you happen to have fallen behind, but you're listening to this anyway, thank you for for staying strong and, and going through the word. Ultimately, this is for you, and I hope you benefit from this. But I'm saying all this to say, hey, this Saturday, you are going to be glad that you read the Bible, that you didn't skip this passage, because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite passages and one of my favorite figures in all of the Old Testament. So let's get into it as we look today at 1 Kings 17 and 18, where we are introduced to this figure, Elijah. And Elijah, clearly, you know that name. That That's one of the major figures in the Bible. Even when Jesus is transfigured, who's there with him? Moses and Elijah. Um, we see even things about Elijah with the coming of Christ. And even as you think about John the Baptist and his connection with Elijah, Elijah is clearly an important figure. And so in our minds... We build him up to be kind of this titan of the faith. You know, back in the Old Testament, uh, this man who has been remembered, who is clearly so central and so important. Well, look at how he's introduced in 1 Kings 17. It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, He's just introduced kind of out of nowhere. And this Tishbite and Tishbe, that's nothing important. So it's basically telling us Elijah was a nobody from nowhere. That's who Elijah was. We think, oh, Elijah, this this titan of the faith, he was a nobody from nowhere. And we're going to see some connections with our reading today and James 5. And James 5 reminds us Elijah was a man with a nature just like Ours. He was just a guy, just like you. Uh, but what was different wasn't his makeup. It was really his faith. And that's where I pray that we are all encouraged to have the faith of Elijah. And we're going to see that faith come in a couple main ways, at least that we'll focus on. There's, there's even more in these two chapters today, but we'll focus on a couple things. And the first is right there at the beginning, where he says to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so he announces that it is not going to rain. And what we see is, uh, if we, especially if we look at James chapter 5, it tells us a little bit of why was it not going to rain. And we, it tells us in James 5, it, do, it wasn't raining because Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years. So what he is saying here to King Ahab is really the fruit of his 
prayers. And so the first kind of lesson we see from the faith of Elijah is the power of prayer. Here is this nobody from nowhere, but he prays and God does something. And that's where if you're like, well, that sounds amazing, but yeah, right. God's not going to answer my prayer like that. Well, one of the things I think that's good to connect is the prayer that Elijah was making there was based on the law of God. If you read through those first five books of the Bible, it it talks about how, hey, if you abandon me for idols, one of the consequences is going to be it's not going to rain. And so Elijah was simply going to God saying, God, remember what you said? God, do what you've said. And he answers it. And I think that's something we miss a lot in the Christian life. Too many of our prayers are just kind of our half desires of maybe something instead of going to God and saying, God, look at what you have said you would do. Do what you have said. Right When God's people come to him in his name and according to his word, and that's when I think we see God really answer those prayers in amazing ways. So let that be a first lesson from the life of Elijah. But we really get into the chapter 18, which is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Old Testament. It's the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Now, you've probably heard this story before. It's another one of the well-known stories um, in the Bible. It's one of my favorite places to visit in Israel. You go up there to the top of that mountain. You can see the Jezreel Valley. There's this awesome statue uh, of Elijah with his you know, foot on the neck of one of the priests of Baal. Um, but we look at this chapter, and, and we, you know the You probably know the the basics of the story, right? Uh, God does not answer the prophets of Baal, but fire does come down and consume uh, the altar that Elijah and, and the sacrifice that he has put there. So God answers Elijah with fire. He kills the prophets of Baal. But there's a couple things that I want us to know. And it really starts with how it this contest begins. So the people gather. This is a spectacle. People are here to see this contest between this one man, Elijah, and all of these prophets of Baal. And Elijah came near to all the people in verse 21 and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, if Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And so he is saying, hey, stop limping between two opinions. Pick one and run with it, right? If the Lord is God, follow him, run after him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And that's where we need to go back a little bit into the history here of what is Baal? What is going on here? Well, Baal, or probably again, the more Hebrew pronunciation would be Baal. He was this God of fertility. And so that that appealed to people in a couple different ways. One was their society was very, very dependent on the crops growing each year, of there being fertile ground, right? And, and so they are praying to this God to 
provide what they need because he's the God that's going to send the rain and make the ground fertile so crops can grow. And also as a God that was centered on fertility, there was a lot of sexual immorality associated with the worship of Baal. And we know from the beginning of time to the end, sexual immorality is something that appeals to people. And so that that was some of the enticement to worship this God that's sometimes hard for us uh, to put our minds around because we think of statues and bowing down to them. Yeah, but who does that? Maybe people in some foreign country, but nobody that I know. But how many people do you know that are in some way worshiping what they think will provide what they need or worshiping sexual immorality? Well, now we are starting to uh, think about things that sound, well, more American uh, through those things. And what you also need to understand is, notice even how Elijah says this, it is not as if the people of Israel by and large have said, forget Yahweh, forget the Lord, who cares about him? We hate him. That's probably not what they were saying. They were, in some sense, likely still carrying on some idea of, yeah, Yahweh, he's the Lord. I I worship Yahweh. But they were trying to mix their worship of Baal in with that. And so they were limping between two opinions. Sure, I'll worship Yahweh, but sure, I'll also worship Baal. And that's where, again, that starts to sound like more and more what's going on in the United States of America. And maybe with some of you, how many people in our culture are saying, yeah, I worship God. Yeah, I love Jesus. But, you know, I, I really need this thing to provide for me. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of dabbling in some sexual immorality. And, you know, the God's gracious, so that's okay. Elijah would look at all the people that say that and say, how long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if your job is God or whatever you think you're going to pro- it's going to provide for you is God, your bank account is God, or if sexual immorality is really where pleasure is, then go chase after that. Pick one and run after it. Stop limping between two different opinions. And that's where I want you to to stop and think, are there ways in your life that you are limping between God and something else? What are the idols in your life that are competing with God? I mean, it could be money or success or something related to money and the things it could buy. It could be a relationship, whether a relationship that you hope happens or a relationship that you have, maybe your family, you put that too high up and you exalt that to the place of God. There's so many things. We can even just come up with, this is what I think the ideal life in this world is. And that's really what I'm worshiping. And we limp between the opinions of of God and that. And you need to examine yourself and say, is there any way that I am am doing that? And then you need to read the rest of the story and see God answers. Baal is worthless. He's not there. Elijah mocks him. Hey, maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep. Sing louder. Guess what? All of your idols today are just as worthless as Baal. But the Lord, he is 
is God. And I love Elijah's prayer in verse 36, where he says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done these all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know, O Lord, that you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Man, make more of your prayers sound like that where you are praying for God's glory uh, in the eyes of people. And then the fire falls and consumes, and the people say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah says, seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one of them escape. And that's where today you need to remember the Lord, he is God. And you need to take the idols in your life and smash them and kill their prophets, proverbially, right? Uh, to say, no, the, the avenues leading me to think that money or success or relationships or sex, that's what's going to satisfy. No, I am done with that. The Lord, he is God, and I am going to chase after him. Uh, hopefully now you get a sense of why I love First uh, Kings 17 and 18. And hopefully you're saying, man, I'm glad I read my Bible this Saturday because this is a story that I need to hear and that I need to proclaim with, to others. And you're also going to feel the same way really about Romans chapter five, an amazing passage that really I, one of the main things I think this passage should do is give us assurance of our salvation. It speaks in verse one of Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that's really describing someone that has a joy, a confidence, a peace, and a hope, knowing that their salvation is secure in Christ. And even as we think through assurance, what we know is we're reading the whole Bible even, that our works have some role in our assurance. Our works, as it's made very clear here in Romans, have nothing to do with our salvation. But when we see these new works as a result of the change that God has done in us, that helps our assurance. Or when we see there is no fruit, there is no evidence, that gives even biblical reason to wonder, to doubt uh, the claim of faith because our works are proclaiming something different. But this reminds us that if you are a Christian seeking assurance, the first place we always need to go is Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished. First and foremost, my assurance comes from what Jesus did, and I'm standing in grace because of what Jesus did, and I'm rejoicing in hope of the glory of God because of what Jesus did. Because, as it says in verse 8, while I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. And that ultimately is the ground of my assurance. So I hope your assurance is strengthened through Romans chapter 5, and I hope your faith is strengthened through especially 1 Kings 18, that there would be no limping around between two opinions in our lives, that we would be running, chasing after God and God alone. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.